Welcome back to Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, detective-ish, true detective-ish, and otherwise. I'm Darren Franich. On the phone, straight from the corner of Matt Parkman's brain, where he's been residing for the last four and a half years, it's EW's Jeff Jensen. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, how are wow. things? How, how are things wow. in that deep cut reference that I just made? Deep cut reference? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, they, they are rather anti-heroic. <laughs> much like much like seasons two through four of Heroes. Uh, Jeff, we're going to be talking about True Detective for, I would guess, most of the show. But first of all, we do have to discuss uh, the return of a show that I know was very near and dear to our hearts until it became whatever the opposite of near and dear is, far and uh, hated from our hearts. Uh, NBC announced uh, that Heroes will be making a return trip in 2015. We don't know much about it yet. We know it's going to be a quote-unquote limited series, which frankly at this point could mean absolutely anything. Uh, we know it's going to be uh, the, it, it's being developed by Tim Kring, who was the original creator of Heroes. Unclear who's going to be back right now. You wrote, uh, I, I thought, a, a, a great piece when this news came out. Um, but I, I, I want to sort of you know, talk to you a, a little bit more about it now. Like, I mean, now that you've sat with it for a couple of weeks... Heroes colon reborn. Is this still the worst idea ever, or could it could it be the second worst idea ever? <laughs> I don't think it's the first worst idea ever. I don't think it's the second, and it actually might not really even crack the top ten. <laughs> it, it, it speaks to certainly some trends in Hollywood in general about rallying around brands. Um, uh, for, for, for programming, for creating programming. Of course, we see that in our movie theaters, and now we see it with increasing frequency on our television screens. Um, there is this, you know, it's just we're, we're in this cycle where right now the programming trends toward our franchising and, and finding either characters or icons or cultural, um, you know, properties that, that are sort of like pre-sold and we kind of know what they are and become sort of easy to market. And Heroes, you know, forget for, for a minute at least um, the, the quality of the programming that it produced the first time on the air. It, it, it is a recognizable, iconic brand that is very relevant to the kinds of things that, kinds of stories that are filling our culture right now. And I, I think that, I, so it's, 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 not, it's not surprising to me, and it's not, I mean, unless we just keep this kind of trend in general, it's not necessarily a bad idea. I mean, I'm all for, as sort of like, I can get on the soapbox with anyone and just say, this is a, you know, this kind of thing is a really bad trend in our culture, you know, <laughs> Uh, like Fra franchises, darn you franchises, darn you brands. <laughs> I, I can get cynical by that, but you know, I really only feel that cynicism when I am watching really bad examples of it. But what I can't deny is that when you give me a really good, like, like 
Case in point, Hannibal, Brian Fuller's Hannibal on NBC, is just one more Hannibal Lecter story, one more serial killer story. Like, like we need any more of that, you know? Um, we might bemoan what NBC is not developing or not licensing and picking up. What is, being, what is the cost of sort of that kind of example of brand fixation? But Hannibal's a great show. Yep, I mean, yep. It's like, it's extremely well made. Um, it's, 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 it's a very good example of its genre, and it's got some themes and some ideas in it that make it sort of like more and transcend its genre. So, like, look, like, as much as I can, like, you know, like, get on that, like, soapbox, like I said, and just sort of, like, rage against the machine, um, when the machine gives me really good examples of, 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 of what it does, I completely make allowances for it. Absolutely. You know? I mean, you know, it, it's funny. I, I almost think this has become sort of like a running conversation we've had on this podcast. But, I mean, it, it's very simple to hate on franchised properties in theory. But then you see a good one and you're like, well, actually, that was fantastic. And in turn, you know, I, I, I had to review the new NBC show starring J.K. Simmons as a lovable blind dad. It, it was awful. And, you know, it, you know I, I, I don't in turn say, like, you know, God, like, why is NBC doing all these horrible original ideas? Like, why can't they just do more sort of, like, do more Hannibals? So, yeah, like, I'm sort of with you. And I, I think you may have mentioned this in, in your piece, you know, Heroes, of course, initially it started in 2006, I believe. Is that right? Uh, 06, yeah. 07 TV season. First season, huge sensation. Um, and then from there, it sort of, sort of took a turn. But I, I, I think... As you mentioned, initially there was this notion that Heroes could have been an anthology show. Like, yeah. like season two could have been about mostly new characters, and and and, and likewise, you know, you know, going forward. And I, I believe before the writers' strike, it was even announced that they were going to do a sort of spin-off series that would have been yeah. a straight-up anthology, right? Like, like Kevin right. Smith was going to make an episode. Really, really cool stuff. Um, and then it well, just it seems spoke, like it, it spoke to both the strength and ultimate creative weakness um, of that franchise, um, at least maybe I would say from a writing standpoint, which is they really knew how to do origin stories. They really knew how to set up characters and set up a world. They really knew how to do 12 issues of a comic book. Um, but what they wanted was an ongoing series. And th for that, they just had no vision for like what lasted beyond 12. So it was interesting to me. Yes, I remember you know, Kring uh, talking about how, you know, that the plan was that in the spring of season two, a sort of companion series would have launched that in which they would invite guest writers and directors to come in and basically do their hero. God, that would have been awesome. <laughs> right. so Kevin Smith or, or, or so, I mean, I know that name got bandied around a lot. Maybe Joss Whedon at the time before Joss Whedon <laughs> became the guy that we probably now want. Yes, yes, this was... This this was this was a Joss Whedon in his like uh, making web series mode, not in his making most successful movies exactly. ever. <laughs> yeah, like so, and th that idea was is that you know like, but you know by by the sprint by season two, of course, like well, so that was the idea is that there would be this companion series. Um, I think, um, and 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 which like 
guest creators would come in and create characters that would sort of technically exist within the, the hero's world. But ultimately, I think that companion show would just be sort of like a, a cool, you know, anthology series of, of, of standalones. And what was interesting about that concept was it was getting, it was sort of like a, a way to sort of like do an idea that Kring had um, at the beginning of Heroes when he was thinking about what the best form of this show could be. And, um, and, and, and one of the ideas that he, he talked about with, with, with NBC and, 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 and that, that was out there when he talked about this openly with reporters during the first season of the show is, like, one, his, his, his initial thought was, what if this could be an anthology series where every year we tell different stories with different characters, but in the same creative world? Maybe some characters from previous seasons would, 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 would show up, but you're building a continuous universe, um, but every year it has a sort of different focus and different collection of characters. And, um, but obviously, um, they didn't go that way. First and foremost, because one of the things that did make heroes so appealing in season one was that cast and was those characters. And the, and, and the conventional thinking about television is, is that, um, at least at that time, is that it's not really a storytelling medium. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's it, it's about you know an ongoing relationship with characters and stars. Yep. And that and 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 that's sort of like a, you know. The op- part of the operating, you know, thinking about, about television. So, yeah, you know, NBC needing success, needing a, a hit, sees this show and sees this cast that is connecting with its audience. Of course they're not going to want to, like, blow that up um, for the sake of some kind of, like, anthology format that might be, quote-unquote, good for the art of television. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and, and so, and then, and then, and so that's how Heroes took the form that, that Exactly, and, and and so really, what, what happened was, and I mean, like I, I can't stress enough, I, I love the first season of Heroes so much. I mean, even 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 considering that the finale was not that great, I've never really had the kind of visceral hatred towards the first season finale that I, I think a lot of people have. But really, this was a show that like it did a great first season, and then it kind of just kept hitting the same notes. Season two, there was like another you know flash forward to another post apocalyptic future, and then yeah. I believe, I mean. I mean, at, at some point, Brian Fuller, it's funny you mentioned him, because as you pointed out in your piece, Brian Fuller, of course, worked on Heroes and then left and then came back briefly and then left again. <laughs> and it, it, it sort of briefly got good. But I, um, one of my first beats when I was a, 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 young, a much younger EW writer was covering the final season of Heroes. And man, like... If you were, if, if for people who were really excited about seeing the worst remake of Carnivale ever, like that's that's basically what Heroes kind of got down to. So I, I, I think to your point, like what's exciting about this is almost this idea that maybe, hopefully, you know, we're we're casting fairy dust on this announcement. This could be the season two of Heroes. We've always kind of we, we always thought we were going to get at some point. You know, like we're we're not going to have the same characters sort of doing the same things but the core idea i mean it's 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 a great core idea because it's basically just that there are superheroes <laughs> right right but i would say um a, a couple things about that i mean yeah so sure let, let's be optimistic let's be hopeful let's let, let, let's root for things to succeed right <laughs> so um uh the, the return of heroes could be an attempt to do heroes right to learn from the past 
That said, as I think that we, you know, we've talked about before, and as I kind of mentioned in this piece, you know, the, the Heroes Reborn is going to sort of launch in a culture that's very different from when Heroes like launched in 2006. Like, there really wasn't any other sort of superhero narrative on television. There was Smallville, and Smallville is, I, I, I like Smallville, and I don't want to take anything away from Smallville, but, but this, this notion of, um, you know, superhero narrative on television, I mean, it was just still, still pretty novel, and, and the heroes kind of entered into that with its sort of like, you know, generic brand um, superhero-ness-ness, um, but, um, but, but it, but, but it was really high-quality stuff that was taking inspiration from all the right places and, 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 and was really sort of like wonderfully um, – had a lot of affection for it, the, the, the genre that inspired it. Um, it had a lot of really cool gonzo ideas. It wasn't afraid of, of the source material that inspired it, even though it wasn't an adaptation. You know what I mean? So, Definitely. But when, but when Heroes Reborn hits, comes next year, you know, it's going to arrive in a culture that is super saturated with superhero narratives in both our movie screens and the movie theaters and on television. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have, you know, possibly if everything gets renewed and everything gets picked up that's currently being made into pilots right now, but you're going to have like Arrow. You're going to have Gotham, you know, the young Jim Gordon, um, like Batman kind of series, you know. You're going to have Constantine. You're going to have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You're going to have the beginning of the massive, you know, Marvel soap opera on Netflix. So there's a lot of, and all of these shows being run by very creative, you know, geek-oriented creative intelligences who know what they're doing. So I just, it's just not going to be as special, and I think it's going to be more challenging to be sort of relevant and, and, and compete. Definitely. Well, well, and I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, it, it seems so recent to me, but I, I am realizing that when this arrives in 2015, it will be close to a decade from when Heroes debuted because it, it debuted in the fall of 2006. And it, it's funny to think that, like, you know, this summer, I, I, one of the things that I enjoyed so much about Heroes' first season was seeing the sort of inspirations on screen in these interesting new ways. And, like, you know, first and foremost, I believe it was in episode three, you got the sort of, or, or you know what? First, you saw the kind of peek into the future, and then there was one episode that was set entirely in the future. And I remember thinking, like, man, this is just like, you know, I, I, th this is literally like if someone finally did Days of Future Past, totally. and now this summer we're finally getting the movie of Days of Future Past. And so right. it, it does seem like it will need to sort of move the goalposts in some way. I mean, I, I guess my question for you is, do you think that, I, I mean, would the thing to do be just not do anything with the original cast, like start totally fresh? I mean, clearly, you know, Zachary Quinto probably wouldn't be on board for much more than, you know, like like an episode here or there. But, you know, if Zachary Quinto has to come back to Heroes. Something has gone horribly awry <laughs> with either Zachary Quinto or Hollywood or both. <laughs> Which is which is sad because, man, Siler in season one was such a great villain. I, I remember the episode when you finally met him and there was, the, you know, that sort of flashback. I, I remember just thinking, like, it, it was sort of a great, really was sort of a great star-making turn for Quinto because just immediately you got everything that kind of defines him to me, which is the fact that he sort of looks perfectly like Clark Kent, but there's just something there that's a little yeah. off, that's a little evil, that's a little sort of deeper than that. Like, Oh, man, totally. Yeah, I mean, like, 
Well, I mean, and that's something that, like, I think we might have talked about. I didn't talk about my, in, in, in the piece, but, you know, that was another way in which, you know, um, um, heroes went awry. The problem of the surprise, the, the surprise asset, you know, um, what I mean by this, or, or the, the, the problem of the villain that captures your imagination. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, Siler, I believe, was supposed to be a season one proposition on that show. He was the big bad. But Quinto was so great. And he was so, I mean, he was clearly acting everyone's face off in that show. And he was like um, uh, the, the capture, the imagination, or eat your brain um, character of that show. You know, Siler ate brains. You remember that, right? Yes, he, he did. He okay. did. That's right. So, um, uh, like, so, I mean, it was just like they all recognized in season one, well, we got to keep this guy around. <laughs> But how do you keep a character like that around without sort of like repeating your basic narrative every year? Okay, like this is season two. Like once again, the heroes band together to stop Siler. Like, <laughs> and and but but they had to keep them. They had to keep that character. They had to keep Quinto. And I think that that was one of many things they did wrong moving forward, which was kind of like you know. Uh, uh, finding ways, bending over backward to kind of keep him in the narrative, and 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 for us to like him. I mean, I think he ultimately sort of like evolved into some kind of antihero. Although, to be honest with you, I kind of checked out of that whole. No, well, well, I can I can confirm because Jeff, I, I I dutifully watched every episode of season four, which began with him. Um, they transmorphed him into Nathan Petrelli because Nathan Petrelli died, but they wanted him to still be alive, so they made Siler think he was Nathan Petrelli. Then, sure enough, he realized he wasn't. And then there was a whole episode where him and Peter spent like several brain years imprisoned inside of one of their brains, and I think they broke down a wall. I think they broke a metaphorical wall, and after that, Siler Siler was good. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, so like, like, like we said, heroes went to some, it, it went to some rough places, and it's, and it's time. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, you know, what, what I want to rescue from that though is we laugh at that because of the execution, but I mean, that's the kind of crazy Gonzo stuff that, to be honest with you, I kind of like. Yep. You know, yep. but, 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 but it just wasn't well done that season. I mean, I don't, I don't know what they could have done differently, but um, uh, you know, and to make that good, but it just, it, did, it didn't play well. Well, and even, you know, as, as you kind of bring up in your piece, you know, where we're in this era now where the anthology show is totally something that people are interested in, and, you know, I, I, I sort of feel as if one of Hero's problems might have just been that there was a lot of enjoyable, crazy stuff in the later seasons. That if there were like, if it were a shorter season, if it were thirteen episodes, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how American Horror Story would play if it were stretched out to nine more episodes right, right. than than well, what you know it what, is. You know what Heroes anticipated also, which is. Um which is the, 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 the burn bright fade quickly of Gonzo speed plotting. Yep. Yep. So like and I think that like I, I hope people are recognizing that now. Like we, we all sort of applauded that when Scandal and Homeland was um well, you know, like we're we're sort of in their primes and burning super bright and moving things along by leaps and bounds and creating, you know, just 
these, these fast-paced like narratives with these amazing twists with great resonance that produced really great drama. But when you, when, when you, when you burn that fast, like it, that's only, like I think every example of that on television um, that I can cite over the past several seasons has only written itself into a corner and completely gone off the rails. Yep, yep. And what's interesting about that is that Heroes did that in its first season. In fact, if you, if you go back and read what everyone wrote about that show, you know, one of the reasons why it, it connected a lot with, with especially geeks was that it was, it, was, it was presenting almost, I think, this counter-narrative to what was happening on the big, you know, geek capture the imagination cult pop thing in, 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 on TV that time, which was why. Of course, well, because it, it started, it started, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misremembering here, I think that Heroes started right when they were doing Hydra Island on Lost. That's right. Yeah. It was, it was the third season of Lost, and by, by that time... Like, you know, like, you know, the second half of the second season of Lost, you start seeing the ratings decline. You start seeing a growing number of people saying either they don't have a master plan or, oh, this is going to go on for years and years and years, stretching out mysteries and not getting off this island. I'm finally catching up with that idea. Maybe I'm not interested in that. And kind of getting used to the narrative structure of Lost, which is kind of old school in a way, even though like the individual episode structures were quite inventive. Um, it's season big picture, like, well, the season twists were great. But, but, but you know, like it, it did represent something kind of old school in terms of its season-long story, which was that basically... The beginning of the season basically holds out a goal, kind of points to the final destination, and the you know tw- 16 to 23 episodes between premiere and finale is about getting there. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. if in season four, for example, of Lost, you know, season you know, episode one introduces this idea that the freighter is in route, but it might be bringing bringing some people that would be bad for the island and bad for our castaways. Well, you could count on the whole season building up to a three-part or two-part season finale in which that conflict is finally resolved, right? Yep. And in and, and, and season three, so, you know, by, by the end of season two, we start seeing people kind of catching up to what kind of, like, storytelling that Lost is, is, is practicing. And then season three, it, 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 it gives us the, the bad version of all of that, right? <laughs> It, it, it scatters the cast. Yeah. It, 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 it like drags out certain stories in certain areas that are sort of anti-dramatic and, 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 and not very rewarding. It also and it I, also it also introduces brand new characters who become go-to like like just just icons for how not to introduce new characters. <laughs> totally right. And it also introduced a and also kind of like and this was another big sort of momentum killer of that show in season three. The weird scheduling strategy of of, of Lost season three of like airing like six episodes in the fall then taking like a three and a half month break and then doing like 16 to 17 episodes consecutively in the spring and that just sort of like contributed to this feeling of a of, 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 a, of a narrative, of a storytelling machine that was just totally slowing down and dragging things out against this backdrop Heroes launches and Heroes is like this weekly serial and it's like 
pushing things forward and it's giving you huge cliffhanger each, things. Each, each episode, you were guaranteed to have at least one moment where you were like, whoa, like, I, I can't believe that just happened. Like, what a big twist. And you sort of wanted to come back. And really, like, the, the great thing about the show was in its kind of meat, in that sort of like, you know, in, in, in the middle part of the season, they just did it more and more each week. I mean, you, you, right. you kind of just felt like this, this really was the snowball running down the mountain, just gathering so much steam as it went along. I mean, like, I think that uh, Brian Fuller wrote Company Man, right? Which is like one of the best sort of great kind of flashbacky episodes um, of, of of any sort of like uh, of any serialized drama. And I, I, I remember when it got around to that episode, I was just like, "This is it. This show is it's if it, it if it can maintain this momentum, this show will always be great." And then, as you pointed out, it just couldn't quite maintain that momentum. Right. It's just it's 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 they lucked out in season one because they had certain narrative stru- they had so many characters, all of them for the most part hit. Um, they had they were all origin stories and they could tell many different kinds of origin stories. They were also introducing their world and exploring the world and exploring the history of the world. Season one of Heroes had so many advantages because it, it, it had more story than it knew what to deal with. And so the combination of having this really kind of like really rich amount of story with a storytelling strategy that was about burn through that stuff quickly. And for the sake of a fast-paced, high-energy, super-dense, like, twist, twists, like, like, just, like, every episode something happened and it only built upon what came before, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was wonderful. But then, like, you just, not every season of a show, especially that kind of show, has that kind of, like, you know, a huge pile of story um, that, 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 that lends itself well to that kind of, like, storytelling, uh, entertaining storytelling, you know? And, yep, yep. Well, and, 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 and again... Like, they recognized that, by the way. You know what I mean? It was just like, in season one, they knew that they were providing a really potent alternative to Lost. But they also knew that they were running that engine really, really hot. And that was why in, like, they, they, they lobbied NBC to sort of like adopt a new storytelling structure in season two where they could tell like two volumes of stories, two self-contained like narratives so that you would have sort of like what would ultimately be the, the sort of forerunner of the anthology format where you would have a 12-episode story, a break, and then another 12-episode story. Unfortunately, you know, that's a, that was a really good solution, but they added more solutions to it that kind of ultimately kind of subverted everything that they did well in season one, which was, especially in that, 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 that first uh, storyline in the second season, completely slowed everything down. Like, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and so they, uh, lots of well-meaning strategies that ultimately blew up in their face. I still, Jeff... I still sometimes stay up nights worrying about the Irish girl who Peter left in one of the post-apocalyptic futures. Like, what what happened to her? What is what is her life like? Was, was she erased when the future was erased? Like, so many so many questions, not enough answers, and hopefully they'll be answered by Heroes Reborn. 
<laughs> no. And to, to, to answer your question very simply, you said you, you asked me something. I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to revisit any care uh, any of those characters or, or 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 any of those actors. I love those actors. They were really good. I liked their characters in season one. I, I mean, they those actors that cast honored that show through thick and thin. And hats off to them. Um, and so it's no. I mean, no disrespect to say. I just I just don't think uh, that the best possible version of Heroes Reborn is one in which it brings back all of these actors and their characters. It's just going to remind all of us, especially us, like, you know, um, cynical heroes-resenting media types of how much we just didn't like heroes. (laughs) That's just a bad business strategy. Like, like, to give us those characters again and say, hey, remember how you loved these people the first time around? And we'll say, no! No, we didn't! Let's bring back uh, the the third or fourth triplet played by um, what's what's her face, Allie Larder. Let's let's see if we can find right. a new character for Allie Larder to play. And then, <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll talk about Heroes Reborn nonstop next year since we managed to talk for more than 20 minutes about it, knowing nothing about it besides the title. But Jeff, I I I, I need to ask you all kinds of questions about another show that I know we are both spending way too much of our day thinking about right now. True Detective, as we record this, we're a few days out from the season finale, the the, the end of the story of uh, Rust Cole and Martin Hart and their investigation into the heart of darkness lingering at the, the, not, the, the, the cold, unyielding core that is humanity. Um, you wrote after the last episode a, a, a great sort of piece that was, that somehow managed to do a deep dive into Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man, not the Pierce, not the Pierce Brosnan early virtual reality um, film, but the original short story, which I, I'm, I'm glad you did because that short story is awesome, and it's sad that it's been oh so kind of wrapped up in the whole series of bizarre lawsuits that erupted from the movie. Um, you talked a lot about that. You talked a lot about this, the penultimate episode, and just to kind of like bring people up to speed a little bit, the, the main takeaway from that penultimate episode, there was a lot that happened in it, but we sort of moved decisively into the modern day. We saw Rust and Martin, you know, the, the, the band kind of got back together uh, in, in like balder, um, older, uh, facial hairier than before. Um, and we saw what, what appears to be, who appears to be the killer. I mean, that, that guy at the end, the, the, the lawnmower man, has a scar, appears to be the spaghetti monster. He was, um, you know, he was mowing a flat circle, which is what time is. So all, all things seem to point to him being the suspect. How are you, how are you feeling about the show right now, Jeff? Just, just to kind of like, you know, bring it down to, to a basic level. Are you like, are you kind of at that like lead up to the lost finale moment where it's just like, you know, God, like, you know, this is going to be great. Are, are, are you skeptical? Walk me through your feelings about True Detective as we go into this final episode. Well, I'm all in. Like I, I, I really admire um, this first season and, um, and 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 the story that they're telling. Um, I, I think that, you know, on some levels, I understand some of the criticisms about this show because representationally, it, it you know to kind of you know, kind of echo some themes that we talked about maybe at the beginning of this podcast and over the over the past several podcasts. I can understand the complaint that it represents some things that we need to see less of on the sh- on on television, right? Like dudes, 
to like, you know, really hideous men, um, <laughs> like morally ambiguous heroes, serial killers, a sort of like, um, you know, uh, you know, like female characters that are just not robustly written and, uh, and, and, and are lacking for internal lives, whether or not it's because the structure of the storytelling allows for it or not, blah, blah, blah. Like I, 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 I get it. I understand that. But I also think that this is another example where quality wins out. And I think that I, I, I'm in love with many things about this show. From the very beginning, I was always in love with its storytelling and, and the quality of the writing, not just the dialogue, but the, but the structure of individual episodes and the structure of the storytelling, especially in those first three or four episodes where you have basically this narr- the narratives of each of these episodes structured around these sort of like um, the uh, competing slash complementary kind of um, interviews uh, um, conducted with Cole and Hart telling their stories and kind of going back and forth into their minds and kind of um, the, the sort of hypnotic and immersive kind of thing that, that was not only sort of a, a, a beautiful like thing unto itself uh, as storytelling, um, uh, well executed by the, the by the structures of the script and the directing and the editing, um, so, so well done there. But it, it did something that I think that we 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 really love to see more of in television, which is that that storytelling structure really sunk us deeply into those characters. And like this was a show about these two men, and you got to know them. And yes. There was a lot in them that was kind of repellent and, 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 and complicated. And, 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 you know, I think it's not wrong to ask yourself, why do I like these guys so much? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, um, but, but it's because, um, and I'm not sure I want to really want to answer that, but what, what, because I loved about it is it just like, it, 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 it we walked in their shoes and we got to know yeah, that. You, you, you know, you're, you, you're hitting on something that to me is, is central to the show. I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, I, I've read all of the critiques and, and to me, you know, what's, what's great about the show, me first and foremost, is it's inspired all kinds of really interesting writing about it. And I, I think that's been a, f- a fun part of experiencing the show. But to me, like, you know, I, I realized watching this show that, you know, it, it's sort of interesting to experience this where there are, there are some times that I think Rust, Matthew McConaughey's character, is crazy, and there's times when I think he's the one person on the show who makes any sense, and there's times when I think uh, Marty is, you know, a totally lovable, normal human being, and there's times when I think he's the most evil man alive. And I, I, I realize that I, I haven't really felt that way about characters on a show in a while. For me, it really conjures up what made Sopranos so great, was that, you know, there, there were times when, you know, you, you felt awful about liking Tony so much and there were times when he did totally repellent things and something about just the fact that you know we're at this point where so many of the shows that are like True Detective in in a weird way they've all kind of adopted this you know each episode will be like a day or a couple of days and we'll really kind of follow these characters moment by moment when that works it's great but I just loved how True Detective from the start you just felt like we're going to see the whole sweep of of these guys relationships and you know we're going to see them at different parts of their life, and I, I really feel like I think it was episode five when there was the, the really significant leap forward in time. I just like the ambition of that. I think is really incredible, and I, I think they've really stuck the landing on showing me these characters developing, whether or not the ultimate plot, you know, 
whether or not the plot at the center of the show winds up being satisfying or not, the characters have always been satisfying, which which I think is you know certainly something to you know something to really appreciate about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm uh, I'm attracted to these characters on on a number of levels. I mean, I just think that as sort of unique constructs under themselves, they're fascinating um, to think about. Um, uh, obviously, especially Rust Cole um, and you know his you know arias on nihilistic philosophy and uh, and. <laughs> Sort of the, the ultimate meaninglessness of, of human life. Like, count me among the people that like 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 finds the, the the writing there to actually be really pleasing to listen to. Um, and I'm not going to be super smarty pants here and say that I really understand everything that he's saying. And I own the fact that I might not be, you know, smart enough to understand that. And I'm not going to be one of those people that says that it's irrelevant. I think that it's important to understand the philosophies that are in play in the show. And I've enjoyed investigating them on, on, on my own time and trying to figure out how they correspond and correlate with the characters. So I, I love that kind of stuff. So I love the sort of the constructs and the journeys of these two guys. I like thinking about them in terms of, I know this sounds really corny and I'm not saying that all television shows have to do this, but how I can relate to them, you know, which is that, like, you know, I do not share any of, of, of Cole's philosophies on the meaninglessness of life or, you know, religion as fairy tale. But you know what was really provocative about you know, Cole's own beliefs is how, in a way, the show is um, criticizing religion or criticizing atheism by, through, through a character who's rigorously worked out atheism feels like so much theology. Yep, um, yep. And, and how he constantly puts himself in positions to confirm and affirm his worldview, not test it. Yeah. And so in some ways this very brainy man like represents all of the anti-intellectualism, you know, dangerously so that we kind of associate with blind fundamentalist, you know, unreflective Totally. Blind, I mean, I mean un- unchallenged belief. Totally. Well, and it's funny cuz you know um I I I always think of how uh, there was the character on the show, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but he's the guy who plays Eli Thompson on Boardwalk Empire who was sort of when we first met him, he was playing a preacher in a sort of traveling sort of like church situation we met him again several years later and he was kind of broken down but what struck me is that like you know he was very as as a man of God who was as man of godly as you could be sideburns and all he seemed like someone who was very you know he wasn't preaching every second he was very kind of in tune he seemed like someone who really kind of cared about people by comparison Rust is totally a, a preacher for his particular anti-religion religion I mean he, he frequently in the middle of a conversation will start telling you his his thoughts about you know the greater meaninglessness meaning of, of existence and everything and right and and but the hypocrisy of 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 um of rust too right because you know what I find really interesting about a guy who has this sort of sort of super bleak um, view of, of 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 humanity in the world all the world's a slum you know mm-hmm. we're all going to die we're an accident you know like but yet. This is a guy, though, that believes in justice. This is a guy who, like, recognizes distinctions between his own badness and 
worst forms of badness that threaten people. And like, I, I like, um, I, I, it's fashionable to call um, uh, Cole a negative nihilist, but he's a really bad example of his own faith, you know? Yep. Um, and, like, you know, and, and this is a guy who probably is more like, Job and I'm I'm borrowing I know that Nick Pizzolatto the uh, the creator of of, of 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 True Detective has made this comparison but he's Job that got completely screwed over by the the, the, the metaphysical powers that ruled his world and um, tried to keep the faith but then got no reward for it and just just went ah forget it. <laughs> You know what I mean? And yep, like, yep. And, and, and just like said, like clearly I live in an unjust world where, like, you know, what kind of God is worth believing in if he's going to allow the problem of evil to flourish? And I just think that he represents a complaint and a response to the complaint that that any human being can, can, can relate to, whether you believe in God or not. But at the same time, his own suspect philosophical system, his own sort of contradictory philosophical system, his own flawed sort of beliefs, like, I think that, like, my response to characters like that is not to judge that guy, but to say, huh, like... I wonder how my worldview is equally flawed, and I, so I love characters. Definitely, like that. definitely. Well, and and this is why I, I sort of think that you know to, to kind of return to the penultimate episode. What was great about it was you know we, we sort of decisively moved into the present day, and we spent so much time with present day Rust. I, I think I, I think it's set in 2012, as opposed to the 1995 Rust, who we spent most of the show with. And I, I was I was struck by the fact that like you know yeah, if, if he really believed fully everything he's been saying, you know, Tom is a flat circle and all that stuff, he would have just stayed in Alaska. You know, he would have been, he would have stayed in Alaska and, you know, happily drank himself to an early grave. And there was something, I, I, I was really struck by the fact that, you know, for a show that I think directly engages with interesting moral and philosophical things in a way that, m m you know, most TV, most movies, m most great entertainments even, like, d d don't often even try. I was struck by the fact that he kind of felt like, you know, I forget what exact word he used, but there was a sense of, like, you know, I, I, I need to write this somehow, you know? I, I need to, you know, in this... Even as I'm sort of feeling that there is no God and no justice in anything, I must do something to at least, you know, right this wrong for myself, for the world, for some greater purpose. And because I you, Marty, have a debt. You have a debt. Yes, you oh. have a debt, and that and that's when I think that like this is a crazy, outrageous Southern Gothic story, which in many ways bears absolutely no relationship to the real world at all, except of course for the um, animal mask wearing cult that lives next door to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but what I like about the example of these guys is they recognize they have a responsibility to a fallen world. Um, and I you don't use that necessarily in a religious sense, but you can, if you wish, kind of interpret it that way. But they have a responsibility to their world, and um, whether or not they're responsible for the problem or not, because look, I mean, that is, that's a major problem in this country, if I can get on my high horse a little bit here, which is that, like, there is this feeling of, like, whether it's racial injustice or sexual injustice or, you know, historical injustices, like, you know, there is a very natural response of certain people of our generation, if not older or younger, say, hey, I didn't create that problem. Mm -hmm. I'm not 
responsible for the sort of prime mover event that has created this legacy. Like, like, what's my responsibility to this? And and and, and this is a story about guys who ultimately, too late in life, maybe too late in life, gaining eyes to see this and say, it's it. Uh, I I I'm a member of this society. I have I have a responsibility. I'm complicit in this in some ways. Like, regardless, there is evil. I have a responsibility to it. I like the sense of ownership that that that, that Cole was trying to point out to um, uh, uh, Mar- Marty too, which is they made a mistake. And, and so this is now a new paragraph thought, which is they made a mistake in 1995. They thought that they had solved the problem of evil in their world, and 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 and. And they thought that correctly. I mean, not ultimately was wrong. Um, they weren't wrong for for making that assumption, but um, but but they made a mistake and they made some errors in the execution of solving that problem that that helped them make make them blind to the fact that they didn't really solve the problem. And by sort of like making that error back in '95, um, they 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 in turn sort of you know unintentionally allowed more evil to flourish, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, like, I, I, like, you know, I'm getting a little, like, ponderous, I know, but, like... I, I getting, really... getting, getting ponderous talking about True Detective? Jeff, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah, I, that is I, not... That meaningful? You know, I, I, I find that relevant. I, I, I think about, like, you know, what, what, what choices, what errors do we make in our own lives that allow sort of, like, 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 corrupt systems to flourish and totally flourish. Well, well, and, and, and and to me you know i think you're hitting on something that you know this is like that a lot of the people who are very critical of true detective i i think either the, I, I, they overlook or they just don't care like I, i'm very struck by the fact that like these are characters who even if you think i mean there is the argument to be made that you know rust is not necessarily miles away from you know the anti-heroic protagonist of the low winter suns of the world what, what, what strikes me is that you know the reason why low winter sun was bad and i i, I watched i watched a couple episodes so i it, it's more than just the post breaking bad twitter joke it actually was not great was that it was ponderous, but it didn't actually ponder anything. You know, it was actually, right. a, a, as a show, it was very, like, reductive and very sort of plot-based. And I, I'm just, I'm so taken with the fact that, you know, I, whether you think, you know, it's it, it's that, that the character is being too ponderous, the writer is being too ponderous, I love the idea that, you know, this is a guy who thinks about that stuff. You know, this is a guy who occasionally just, as he's sort of musing ambiently about things that happened 17 years ago, will start talking about you know, the nature of time and the nature of, of guilt and the nature of, you know, morality and, and, and things that have to be done versus things that, you know, were actually done. And I think to me, that's that's what uh, what I like about the show and what, you know, I, 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 I hope that as influential as I hope it will be and as I hope its sort of structure will be, I hope that, like, a lot of TV writers who are watching this are getting this sense of, like, man, like, they're really just taking these characters in interesting internal directions in a way. It's sort of the opposite of what we talked about with Heroes, where what made Heroes great when it was great was we are going to make these heroes as external as possible and we are going to just keep the plot moving and the momentum will be the thing. And really what makes True Detective fun is that, you know, this this is the anti-momentum show 
show in some respects. There are whole episodes that have passed by that have been very like, you know, we're just kind of living with these characters and we're living with with Martin and his with Marty and, and his various affairs and we're living with Rust and his various, you know, even but, but, but never any less riveting. Yep. I mean like yep. uh, like that that's what I would say is like yeah, it's it's I understand what you mean by by making that comparison to heroes, but it was I mean like it, it, it might technically move slower. I, I would. I didn't notice yep. because I'm just so immersed in every episode, and it's like by the time I get to the end, I'm usually going more. And just and, 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 and just the, the the tone of it. I mean, I just I love like all of these. You know, it's sort of like a great recurring motif. But this, you know, we're sort of in we're in this great sort of like fantasy South where there's always some bizarre factory, you know, spewing yellow, you know, smoke into the air, and just I, I feel like just technically. The world the show has created, I, I think there's a reason why it's had such an effect with so few episodes, because it's just such an evocative sort of landscape in, in a way that I, I, I can't really think of another TV show that has managed to create that so quickly, you know, and I, I think that's part of what, what makes the show so interesting. I, I, the, the example, I mean, to, to kind of build on that a little bit, you know, because we're writers, like I think that we can, um, you know, you know, I, 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 I'm just my my automatic default, especially given how we've written about television so much over the years, is just sort of like attribute this to uh, the writing, and the writing is great. But this is a this is a remarkable achievement of a, of, of directing. I think there's a completely co- different analysis that you can make of this show and say that it really is a, a, a director's achievement, right? Um, and um, I. And you know, in our rich history of mispronouncing names, I don't even want to try with this. Guy. <laughs> I believe it's Kerry Fukunaga, but I don't know his his middle name, and I'm I'm not going to even try to say it. <laughs> right. But I mean, I think that he, I mean, like the, the, taking this material and realizing it in such a way, and and I and I don't I don't know who edits, I don't know who's over who over you know. Usually in television, the showrunner, writer, showrunner, um, is it oversees the edit of a show. I don't know if Kerry over edited each of these episodes or if Nick was responsible but that, that but the, I mean this must be especially in those first three episodes and then in the fifth episode too extremely like those edits must have been very complicated um, and keeping the narrative clear while jumping back and forth in time and, and all that and perspectives and stuff so but just the visuals, the storytelling, the directing of actors, the you know, like the the, the realization of this sense of place, um, and and the construction uh, of, of of episodes. I mean, this is this is an amazing achievement of creative leadership. Whether it's Nick, whether it's Carrie whether it's both. I mean, this is great. Well, and, and that's why, you know, it's funny. There's been such a running uh, sort of meme about True Detective Season 2, you know, who who should be cast and, you know, all these kind of, like, suggestions. Clearly, to me, it, it should be Jill Hennessy and Angie Harmon, but that's just, uh, you know, that's just one man's opinion. But what interests me more is, since Kerry Fukunaga has already said that he will not be returning to direct Season 2, who's the, who's the sort of young, probably indie-ish, you know, solid but hasn't quite made his mark yet director who's going to come on board for season two. That, that's what sort of intrigues me about it since we, we know that Nick uh, Puzzolato, uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm mispronouncing that name, he'll be, he'll be doing the writing, but to your point, yeah, like who's going to kind of get this incredible sort of sandbox to play around with on the directorial side is sort of a really interesting question. Um, Jeff, we've, 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 we've talked around it, but 
I, we need to at some point do some kind of a deep dive into the show's mythology, which I'm guessing you know more about than me, since I I, I, I tend to assume that uh, you know you read uh, books by by Robert W. Chambers every evening before you go to sleep. <laughs> Where are we at now with the sort of greater Yellow King? Carcosa, um, you know, maybe this is all going to turn out to be an H.P. Lovecraft Cthulhu monster thing. Like, and and also, I guess more to the point, how do you think that will pay off in the finale? All these sort of you know yeah. great sort of like re- references embedded and otherwise to sort of like weird fiction that have permeated the show. Um, well, this is based on my own theory, maybe uh, informed a little bit with our recent interview with Nick. Um, I'm not counting on the final episode of True Detective to call out The King in Yellow by Robert Chambers. I don't expect any sort of like, you know, a villain of the show to sort of sit down and tell us, you know, once upon a time, long, long ago, you know, me and my child raping brothers. Um, that sounds really grim. But, but like, and, and woman hating brothers, uh, like, read this really great, creepy book. Uh, and, we, and we decided to build a whole, like, cult religion over it to sort of, like, take the place of the dominant religions of our time. <laughs> Increasingly irrelevant because we need that sort of visceral connection. With- the last episode, the last episode, Jeff, will, will actually just be a meeting of the Robert W. Chambers Book Club, uh, circa nineteen ninety four. Like guys, like let's let's build a cult out of this. It'll be great. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not counting on that. Um, I'm. I think that, in fact, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking that, like, at the end of the day, what we're going to find out is, if we find out anything, is that, that, that this has probably been a sort of, like, uh, belief system, if you will, with exotic names and, uh, and, and kooky and, and horrible practices that have been passed down from generation to generation, and its current practitioners probably have no clue where it comes from. <laughs> and, 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 and in that way, functions as a metaphor for a lot of belief systems. Yep. <laughs> that in, 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 in our life, I think, though, that where... Things like the king in yellow, as we understand them, are significant. Is in sort of ref- on, on the sort of like subtextual, secondary levels of, of appreciating this show as sort of some kind of commentary on the genre and the commentary on pulp fiction and our relationship to our fiction and the evolution of this kind of fiction. And one of the, and, and and that when I when I when I encounter a text. Or a call out like something like like Robert Chambers, I I I start thinking that maybe the writer wants us to think about our relationship to the stories that we put in our heads. So I start thinking about things like maybe part of the point of True Detective is why does our culture produce so many shows like True Detective? What, 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 is our, what is our fixation with law and order narratives and pulp fiction narratives? And you know, what do we get out of them? But what are some of the values maybe or maybe underlying philosophies that we're allowing to sort of like get into our imagination? How might they actually in some ways frame how we look at life? Um, I, I, 
I, I, I, you know, that's, that's the kinds of things that I think about when a show does something like this. I think that on the, just the first order of business, I think he pulled some, like, kooky names and some, like, you know, like, like fitting illusions um, <laughs> that, 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 that work well for his mythology, but his mythology is ultimately, on um, the show's mythology, I mean, and mythology is supposed to be taken just, like, on its own, but then there's that sort of, like, um, uh, secondary level, the more sort of like overthinking, academic-y, book reporty level in which we, we take these things and kind of like write giant genre histories of detective shows and, 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 and how they've evolved and where they come from and what they mean to us. You know, mm-hmm, that, that's, mm-hmm. so that's, that's my relationship to something like The King in Yellow. So, 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 Jeff, just so I'm clear, what you're saying is Ariel Childress will pull off his face revealing the, 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 the squid-like tentacled face of Cthulhu and he will then consume rust coal. Is that that's that's basically what you're what you're getting at here? That's that's your your bet for the finale of True Detective. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yes, yes. I think that you know, but there is something about this story. Like, like, look, I get the appeal of that. I really do. Um, you know, I, I like I, I want like you know there would be something cool. It's just not this story. Well, 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 but, but, but also, but also, I, I think uh, you know to be to, to be slightly more serious. What, 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 what I what I think you're getting at is what I think makes this show so interesting, and what will be interesting to see what kind of shows come in its wake. Because I, I'm just so taken with the fact that here is a show that has this sort of very resonant, you know, vaguely kind of supernatural sense of of evil and of and of good and of, you know, all kinds of big themes. And I, I, I love the fact that it's done that. It's, it's kind of managed to take a quote-unquote realistic story and, and, you know, take a genre as old as time, the, the criminal investigation show, and just imbue it with this incredible sense of, of myth and of of depth and of history and of you know this and and just the idea that you know a lot of what's happening is tied into the whole history of human belief and I think that that is what makes the show so interesting in a sense is that it, it's sort of it really is kind of like what if a show like Lost never had anything supernatural happen but had the same sense of you know referential depth and I, I think that's what I what I like about the show so I'll be I'll be okay with it if there's no if there's no squid monsters I guess is basically what I'm right. saying <laughs> it, but it's interesting though that how how people have really latched on to that like um, and I, and I, I think to be fair, somewhat playfully. Yes. Like, um, and um, no, it's it's it, 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 it's sort of like when when everyone was saying that Bob Benson was definitely Don Draper's time traveling son. It's it's sort of a, a fun a, a, a fun bit of uh, right. theorization as opposed but, to. <laughs> but but I've kind of like you know shadowed some Twitter conversations between uh, other people about people who really like. Are, are super convinced and actually feel that the, the show is obligated to give us this, which is, you know, hey, hey, you don't give us Robert W. Chambers and make sort of like sly, like, you know, references to H.P. Lovecraft and, and, and not give us supernatural monsters. Like, you, like, you know, if you do that, but um, you've got to do that, never mind the fact that, like, at every turn in the show, um, I think that, like, when, when something, quote-unquote, like, you know, like, even, even Rust 
whole doesn't believe in his own visions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He allows for the fact that back in the day when he thought he was seeing through the matrix of reality and the underlying truth of the universe, <laughs> through signs and symbols that sort of exist, he acknowledged, yeah, I was, I was drinking heavily on drugs, and I think I was suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. <laughs> Like, I mean, like, even he doesn't, like, when he said, like, do, do, like you know, the, the detectives asked him, like, you know, do you still have these things? And he said, for something very funny, very funny line, he goes, now, nah, like, they pretty much stopped when I stopped drinking, like, like doing drugs. <laughs> like, you know, which, which is like, okay, like, even the show doesn't believe in that, but there is something about the collision between occult-oriented crimes, right, or, or, or the occult. And this is a show that clearly is trafficking in occult imagery that combines with the meta-nature of the show, where we are keenly aware that the show is referencing things outside of itself and is, is, and is inspiring us to make illusions. Like, I, I get that, that master... I, I think that one of the things that, that, um, that contributed... I think going back to the King in Yellow, like it wasn't necessarily the the um, the, uh, the the content of the King in Yellow that inspired us to, to, to think that there was something supernatural about the show, um, but just the show's own relationship to the text and our relationship to the text. It existed in this weird, strange. I, like ironic relationship because none of these characters are calling out what we know outside the show, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, mm-hmm. is, that, is that this is a literary reference. Like, you know, like, <laughs> okay, I guess this is 1995 and they don't have Wikipedia on, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, it just like, goes show how much detective work has changed. Because, like, if I was Rusko or Martin Hart, the first thing I would do would be Googling all those terms. You're right. You're right. right. I, 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 I do wonder, yeah, that's, that, that, was a, that was a scene that was cut from, from episode seven when you know Rust suddenly discovers Google circa 2007 and, right. and, and Google's the Yellow King, like whoa, like this explains everything. But the fact that they're not doing that, you know, and so then now we do that, and we go and we look up the King in Yellow, and we find out what the King in Yellow is about. And this is sort of where the trippy thing is, which is, you know, we've been waiting for, like, the Cthulhu-like apocalypse, which is, of course, this idea of, like, the hidden masters of the universe, the monstrous masters of the universe that out, like, exist outside space and time, looking down on us, and now they're going to either swallow us up or take us over. Darren, we are the Cthulhu monster. <laughs> realize that, right? But that we end up taking that relationship to the show. We see this text of the King in Yellow. We, we, we now look it up, we understand what it is, and now we're looking down from outside space-time into this story and watching these characters operate and flail around, not understanding the, the, the references of their world and the true nature of the world, and we're playing with them. We, we are the Cthulhu. Oh my god, Jeff, I'm going to have to add in a, an, an exploding sound effect, because you just blew my mind. By there, there are pieces of my brain all around the room right now. We, we are the Cthulhu or Cthulhu, or or however you pronounce that. Oh, <laughs> I like the fact that like tons of Lovecraft fans and weird fiction fans are like clearly this guy's never read Lovecraft. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that in, word. in fairness, true. I, like, I, like, I, I think I, I read I, a couple of his short stories, but I'm I do not put myself to sleep at night reading The King in Yellow. <laughs> but I will, but I will say that. Second, I saw that, I got that reference. I did went and I, I buy that. I bought that Chambers book. And let me tell you something about the King in Yellow and that book, Darren. Awful. 
don't know why we're not calling this out. I mean, <laughs> it was a horribly written book. The stories are stupid. I mean, they just are. I mean, like, they're ridiculous. No, I know. It's, it's sort of like a, my, uh, my, my grandpa had a huge collection of Edgar Rice Burroughs books. And, you know, as, as much as you want to say, there's a guy who influenced a lot of people. So the, the seventh or eighth John Carter of Mars book is, is when you realize, ah, maybe the, the, the writers have gotten a little bit better since, since his time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, well, well, Jeff, uh, listen, we can are... I, can I leave you with one question? Yeah, but, oh, Jeff, one question. Le- leave me with ne- my, 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 my... Again, portions of my brain are all around the walls here, so please, ask, ask away, ask away. <laughs> um, my, my, my question for you, and there's someone calling on the other line, so if we get interrupted like this... Then forgive me the, the, the interruption. Okay, so um, my my question for you is, who should be the hero of this story? Um, and and, and that, that's the that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about right now because here at the end we really have two different sets of heroes that are in potential in in in, in, in position to sort of bring justice to this world that desperately needs justice, right? And 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 we have two different we have three different archetypes represented by these two sets of characters. We have Gilba and Papanya, who are if I'm pronouncing their names right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, who are police detectives. And let's assume for a minute that they are not, quote-unquote, company men, as Russ Cole called them, that they are not part of this conspiracy, that they are well-meaning, like law enforcement agents who want to, who want to you know, catch a killer and, and, and solve some crimes, and they are legally empowered to do so. But on the other hand, we have the team-up of, 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 of Cole and Hart. And in the same way that our Pulp Fiction, like, loves, like, you know, uh, uh, cop characters, um, uh, and, and, or cops are the staple sort of heroic archetype of Pulp Fiction, um, Colin Hart represents staple heroic archetypes in our, in our Pulp Fiction, too. We have the private investigator in the form of Marty Hart, and we have just the hardcore Dark Knight vigilante. <laughs> Right. Yes. I mean, he he has a bat cave, Darren. He yes, he, he he literally has a bat right? cave. He is he is quite literally the hero we deserve. Yes, yes, definitely. Right. <laughs> like, and uh, and so it, it's interesting. You have these different archetypes in position to bring justice to the fallen world, if that's possible. Because in in, in, in True Detective, we're not really trying to bring to justice like a, a, a single guy. We're we're trying to bring down a whole corrupt culture, and that's mm-hmm. going to be a really hard thing to do. Um, and especially in one episode. So you have these different archetypes, but moreover, you, you, you have, in, in, in sort of like form of Rust, Rust and, and, and Marty, men that we've gotten to know really, really well, and we might wonder actually whether or not they're deserving of the heroic privilege that's upon them. You know, Marty Hart, like, you know, ultimately in some ways created the problem that they are now trying to rectify because of his own reckless heroism back in 1995. He didn't just kill Reginald Ledoux um, when he should have shown some sort of, like, discipline, right? Mm -hmm. His original sin, his original mistake happened before when they had made that plan for him to hang back and call for backup. Um, and Marty said, no, 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 I can let you take all the credit for all of this. <laughs> like, that was his original sin, the, the, the fact that they went in together, and Marty, who's not trained and has lack of, 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 of character to handle this kind of evil, that's how he responds, right? Mm-hmm. And so his desire for glory, his selfish selfish form of heroism is sort of like the original sin that is, 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 is now being corrected. Um, and, 
and, and that, that he has to atone for. And Rust's own sort of like arrogant belief that he had solved the day and he had scored some major philosophical point and some complaint with God, I don't know, whatever, but, but, but not questioning that perhaps maybe they, they didn't really rescue the day. Ultimately, these are fallen men, and, um, and, and, and they've created this problem, and, and I can understand why they feel like they have a debt. But at the same time, they're, they have to pay, and that's great, and that's good. But they're practicing a form of heroism even now, which I don't think that we should, like, champion, right? I mm-hmm. mean, they're about to, like, torture a guy with a car battery yep. to sort of, like, get what they want. I mean, they're totally these sort of hard-boiled, ruthless, amoral, like, 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 hero, like Pulp Fiction heroes. You're right. You're right. It's funny, though, because I hadn't really thought of this, but there is a sort of question of, you know, is, is the sh- does the show kind of end with these two characters who are really, like, very specific types of... Of, of anti-heroic but still heroic heroes, does it somehow end with them out of the picture one way or another? And then uh, the the two present day detectives—I don't even know their name—like do, do do we sort of end on them in a way? Like do do we end back in the world of you know just good solid cops who aren't spectacular but also aren't you know willing you know also aren't going to be torturing anybody with a car battery do we end right. back with them somehow perhaps even inadvertently you know at at the end of you know they're um oh, who's the guy they're they're like you know Fortinbras at, at the end of Hamlet to make a totally pretentious reference you know they're, they're right. the guys who sort of come in out of nowhere and are kind of like all right well i guess i guess i'll be in charge now <laughs> well, there's, there's an interpretation of this story that says that it's entirely a heroic narrative from their point of view, from Gilba and Papania. I mean, like, the reason why this story is taking place at all, the way that it's taking place, is that, is that these two detectives called in Cole and Hart to interview them for the purpose of, bring, of, of, of solving the murder, the Lake Charles murder, which they recognize is connected to other murders that have maybe, either have been solved or unsolved or improperly solved. Like, the heroic enterprise of these eight episodes, in a way, is, is really theirs. And it, and, and it belongs to them. And so this is all adding up to me to a final episode that makes me wonder that, yes, this is a story about bringing uh, justice to um, a, a fallen world and maybe even sort of, quote, unquote, redeeming this culture. But really I'm wondering on a secondary level, this sort of like meta-fictional kind of like a sort of like commentary about the genre, about sort of redeeming our whole notions of heroism, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because like we're so, especially after Vietnam, and this is something that I got into my interview with Nick, after Vietnam, I mean, we have such this complicated relationship with our heroes. We don't believe in the virtuous hero anymore. And the, the hero archetype that has flourished and, and the true definition of the anti-hero is the selfish hero, right? Where everything is, like, they save the day as a means to glorifying themselves. And for years, we loved these kinds of guys. We loved Han Solo. We loved Bruce Willis and Die Hard, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, like it's not, like, I mean, they're good guys. They ultimately do the right thing at the end of the day, you know? But, like, but that's only kind of gotten worse. And I, I find that what's really interesting, you see this in the narrative of True Detective, where you have these guys that are very self-involved and very selfish, and they get completely deconstructed along the way to this point now in their lives where they've actually recovered 
the best reason to do good, which is out of selflessness, out of a sense of responsibility, not for gain. Because they know that they're going away after that. I mean, they know that they're likely to be destroyed by this. But even then, I kind of wonder if the story is saying this is not their victory anyway. So I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe the final episode is either if they don't work collabor- collaboratively with Papanya and Gilba, like if ultimately maybe like they defer to them and 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 uh, and and, and or, or they fail in some way that our sort of like legally empowered detectives like have to fix, you know? Like, or or maybe Jeff, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Although although now it, it, it's it's the only possibility that I really believe in. Maybe the end of the final episode of season one of True Detective is a flash forward to 2027, and you <clears> see <throat> the present day detectives are being interviewed by two different detectives played by Angie Harmon and Jill Hennessy. That's that's what I'm I, I, I'm I'm thinking wow. more and more. This is this is the Law and Order ADA theory of, of True Detective that I'm gonna I'm gonna trademark as, as soon as we finish podcasting today. Nice, um, Jeff. Uh, we will. I, I I I cannot wait. We will definitely be discussing the finale of True Detective for a, for what I hope will be a long time next week. Before we go, though, who's who is the Jeff Jensen season two of True Detective uh, fantasy league pick? For the leads next year, I want to get you. Who's who, who's starring in True Detective by Jensen? Um, wow, that's a really good question. Um, I'm gonna say that if it's not Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, um, I'm gonna go. Uh, how, how about Affleck and Damon? Affleck and Damon. Oh my God, that would be incredible. Uh, but- I mean, that, that would be a huge statement for television, wouldn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. like, because, I mean, I think that from, from my business level, look, that's not going to happen. But I, 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 I just, I, I pitched that just to, to say, this is why I, one reason why True Detective is significant is because I think that other shows have, have like, I, this, if, if there was any part of the door left on the hinge between television and movies, like True Detective kicked it down. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. And, and just kind of showing, like, Matthew McConaughey, who just won an Oscar, and, and these, you know, movie actors can do great work, like, on television, and, and, and now have formats that make it attractive for them to do it, because, like, you know, like, and, and, and maybe even storytellers that can give them material that make it attractive them, for, for them to do it. And I just think that if you're, if you're a network executive, if you're Showtime or HBO, and you're like... Hey, like maybe I can get um, a Brad Pitt to do television if I can get him eight episodes of a great show, and and, and, yep. and that that's always time commitment. And, and if you start seeing like like based on the success of things like this or American Horror Story, like you have network executives that saying we can create huge event television with anthology franchises that can attract huge stars, like like like. Like we 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 really might see the continuation or next golden age. Yep. You know, yep. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm also getting excited for Matthew McConaughey to join Heroes Reborn. I'm I'm just I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I think I think that could like that could feasibly knit it all together in, in a really nice way. Um, Who's your pick for? For season two, who's your pick? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I will say uh, I, I was being totally serious about, about Jill Hennessy. I think she'd be an awesome, like, because listen, I, I, I stumped for 
her her era on Law and Order was great, and I sort of feel like you know, of course, the running problem with Law and Order was always that you know that was that was the original awesome cop show that was that was also a total dude show. I'd love to see maybe Jill Hennessy as the sort of you know Martin Hart every person detective, and then boy, who would be the who would be like her version of the the Matthew McConaughey sort of more out there id slash super ego detective? I'll go with um uh well since since I'm fantasy casting it would be her and then Kate Blanchett and Kate Blanchett would be as some sort of a transplant from England immigrant detective. You know what? Maybe they work in, you know what? They work in immigration control. That's what it is. That's what I'll, uh, but you know, that's kind of like the bridge. I don't know, Jeff. Gosh, so many, so many thoughts. You've, you, you, you've put me on the spot here with my own question. <laughs> I, I, I like Kate Blanchett. I, I, I like Kate Blanchett and uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Ooh, I like that. Wow. Playing, playing long lost sisters, maybe? Oh, there you go. There we go. Boom. All right. We'll have more, uh, we'll, we'll have more for free terrible ideas next week when we talk about the finale. Uh, for that about wraps it up, though. So for Entertainment Geekly, I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Jensen. Thanks for listening.